0: We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Rojas, and I'm on our communications team here at Rolling Hills. We're continuing in our series, Christmas, A Supporting Cast, and today our focus is on the story of Simeon. Simeon's story may not be one that we hear most often around this time of year, but his is one of patience, faithfulness, and righteousness. He trusted God and waited for the promised Messiah to come, and he remained faithful in the waiting. There's so much to learn about Simeon's life, and we can't wait to jump into God's word with you. Thanks for being here.
1: Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. That's the loudest my voice has ever been in my life. Good morning. Merry Christmas. The thunder boom. How are you guys doing today? I'm really glad that you're here. i really glad that we get to spend this time together. I'll tell you this morning, um, maybe you know this already, maybe you don't know this, and it's just my public service announcement to you um, as, in the way of helping particularly those of you who are parents or grandparents of small children, they lose things, like a lot. Um, like constantly and you know there's that whole perception of like if it was a snake it would bite you because it's literally right underneath your nose and we have always and maybe you want to jot this down because it's an important sentence and it's going to help you out later on like maybe you have had kids who are like well I can't find this or I can't find this or I can't find this we often tell our children this sentence look with your hands not your eyes because the thing that you're looking for is often underneath or behind or covered up by something else. We've constantly, it's always worse for um, little boys, and they become men because men lose things too. But it, it's this idea of what do we lose and what are we missing and how come we can't find it. Um, we need to look with our hands, not just our eyes, one of my hopes and one of my prayers, especially as we approach the Christmas season, one of my hopes and prayers every single Christmas season is that, is that we would be a people who would look with our hands, look with our eyes, and that we would have space and room amidst all the clutter to be able to really experience Jesus. You see, Christmas It can be whatever you want it to be, literally out there in the world. And it starts like uh, August, basically. You can look out there and there's Halloween stuff and then there's Thanksgiving, not really that much. And then all of a sudden, the Christmas stuff has thrown up on every single aisle and it's everywhere. And your Christmas, your holiday can be absolutely anything that you want it to be. We can have Santa and reindeer and elves and Frosty and all of the songs and carols that you wanna sing. Our holidays, it's in your notes this morning. And I believe this, your holiday can be as cultural and traditional as you want it to be. It can be full of all the fun movies and all the holiday humor and all the folklore that you, and that can still be special. But only Christmas, only Christmas, only a focus on Jesus can be transformed. Formational. and we're all going to look around on December the 26th or December the 27th and wonder where it all went and why it came so quickly and what we have to show for this season except for some debt and some mess and we could have missed it and maybe it's because we were looking in the wrong places and experiencing the wrong things or or maybe it's because we weren't really even looking at all. One of my favorite Christmas traditions that we do as a family, I've shared this with many of you before, it's this idea of the nativity. Now we have the one at our house that's super nice and that you can break and that we don't really like the kids to touch. They're actually doing pretty well with it now as they're getting older, but we've always had this Fisher Price little people one that we allowed them to play with and move and do whatever they wanted to with. I turned it off this morning because if you accidentally hit this button, it sings Away in the Manger to you. And this this little Fisher Price nativity set comes with all the things that you need to craft your own Bethlehem. You've literally got the backdrop, the stable, the trees. You, you of course have, I don't even know who I'm gonna pull out first. You've definitely got the Virgin Mary and she's there and you've got some animals. The Bible doesn't really call them out specifically, although there are sheep because there were shepherds, um, but you know that they were there because Christ was born in a stable which we really understand is probably more like a cave. Wise men came. Eventually, they weren't first on the scene, but you get what I'm saying. There's more animals. Um, this is a shepherd. He should be over here with the sheep. We've got some camels because we do make the big assumption that because they were traveling from the far east that they rode on something because that would have been a long walk. There is an angel, and they are present all over the story because the angels were the ones who brought the news to Mary, who sang the news out to shepherds. Oh, there's a lot of wise men. You know, we assume that there were three, but there was really a giant caravan of them. I think I do have somewhere in here, it's hard to tell the difference between Joseph and a shepherd because they kind of look the same. You can really kind of like parse it out, and we probably switch it up every year to year, but we're just going to go ahead and make this guy Joseph today, a- and we're looking, there's somebody that's missing in the whole thing. Oh look, there's a wagon that can go behind the cow or the donkey that's way back here in the back. I got a couple more sheep, and, and the, th- the whole thing is getting very, very, very crowded, but somewhere in the middle of it, there's, there's the baby Jesus, the, the, the Christ child. And one of my favorite traditions is that every Christmas Eve, after we've finished with all the other setting up of the next day and getting ready for the kids the next morning, we, we take all of these elements and we hide them different places in the house like everywhere and the clues are having to get harder as your kids get older it literally used to be in plain sight and there's baby jesus literally sitting there on the floor and the kids would say like you're getting warmer you're getting warmer oh you're getting colder you're getting colder no here it is now we've got to be like strategic we're probably going to hide it like out in spring hill and make them take a hike to go get it on christmas morning because they're getting so much older we we make them go and find the different parts of the nativity and bring them back to the christmas tree and we read the Christmas story as a family before we do anything else. Okay, we have coffee and then we do the scavenger hunt and then we have breakfast and presents and all the things one year because we let them play with it. I happened to notice Simon underneath the Christmas tree playing with the nativity set and he didn't just have the shepherds and the wise men and the angel and the holy couple. He had everybody else too, so there was Power Rangers kind of hanging out at the nativity, and there was Transformers hanging out at the nativity, and there was Superman up here with the angel, because why wouldn't there be? And all of a sudden, oh, Batman, this is a really big one, but he can hang out with Power Rangers. And then um, we've got uh, G.I. Joe, there's a couple of those. These are actually my old G.I. Joe action figures that he plays with sometimes. I don't know why we kept those. And the Joker, because every story needs a bad guy, aka Herod. And you're looking at the nativity scene, and it starts to get really cluttered. And at this point, you can't just look with your eyes and find baby Jesus. you got to dig in there with your hands and figure out where the actual point of the Christmas story is. Sometimes you laugh. We do the same thing. Our Christmas story is cluttered up with a, a whole lot of other stuff. Who's at your nativity that shouldn't be? Who's, who's the focus of your Christmas that, 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 that wasn't there and, and that has no place at the birth. I mean, we do want you guys to know about Jesus, but come on, Power Rangers. How about all the other cultural, traditional, celebratory elements that get a whole lot of play, not only just on the radio, but in our schedules and our lives and our photographs and our stories and all the other things? Who's at your nativity that shouldn't be? And who, who's not there that should be? Because this whole season, we're looking at the idea of the Christmas story, the, the supporting cast, the, the people that never get any attention, the people that they don't have a Christmas carol, the people that don't get a whole Christmas story, people that are actually in Scripture that, that we can learn from and glean from and, and lean into. And you know, Christmas is so much more than we allow it to be. And as much fun as this is, the, the truth of the matter is that when we add all the stuff that we want to add to the story and the birth and the narrative of the Christ child, it's, it's pluralism at best and syncretism, blending all the things that we want to together in the world to craft for ourselves a religion that's in our image and not necessarily in the Lord's. This Christmas, we're looking at the supporting players. The, the, the people that weren't necessarily at the manger, the people that weren't necessarily in the cave, the people that weren't necessarily the, the traditional Christmas elements that you look at, but somehow or another, they have a role to play. They're in here for a, a reason. And although there's no ceramic set of them to put around your nativity, there, there's something that we can learn. Konstantin Stanislavski, he's called the father of modern acting, Russian. He was a, a great character actor and a stage director and he was the founder of the, the Moscow Theatre Company. And he said this there are no small parts, only small actors. I guess he was talking about the, the short guy over in the corner. And, and as he directed shows, he, he made a a, a a grave difference in the way that other people looked at and viewed theater and acting in general. He required as much energy and as much emphasis and as much effort from his background bit players as he did the people who took center stage. And it revolutionized what you and I would see in theater today. And there are some folks in this narrative that only get a few verses, but they're here for a reason. And so we're going to examine them this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to the book of Luke chapter two, um, because we're going to meet a couple of those over the next few weeks. This This is after the holy couple. This is after the journey to Bethlehem. This is after the announcement of the shepherds. It says in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 22, when the time came for the purification rites of the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him. Okay, it's not, it's not even December the 25th yet, but Jesus is already born. They took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as was written in the law of the Lord, that every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And this was a symbol that dated all the way back to Exodus in Egypt, where the firstborn literally belonged to God. And so, and to offer, verse 24, a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And you may be unfamiliar with the idea of them taking doves and pigeons. That had to be easier than a sheep, because those suckers can get big. Like, I, I can't imagine what it must have been like to to worship in that century and to worship throughout the Old Testament, but if you go back to the book of Leviticus, and you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you, and it's a a doozy of a passage starting in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, "'The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant, as Mary did, and gives birth to a son, as she did, will be, their words, not mine, ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period.'" (laughs) On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. And so this would have been a custom that the Jews had observed for as long as they had leading up to the time of Mary and Joseph and now baby Jesus. So this would have occurred in his life. And it says, then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. If you had 33 to 8, you get a certain number. And this is where they're at. Jesus is literally a month and a half old going in for that well check at the doctor's office. No, actually going back to the temple so that Mary can complete the purification ritual that was prescribed for her in the book of Leviticus chapter 12. It says she must not touch anything sacred or go into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. And then it says if she gives birth to a daughter, like it's a whole different custom, she's to wait two weeks because she'll be unclean as during her period. Then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest, get this, at the entrance to the tent of meeting, a year-old lamb. Hold on, that's not what they brought. A year-old lamb for burnt offering and a young oh, here we go, and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering, then then he shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. these are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for the burnt offering and the other for the sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her, and she will be clean. I, I love that even the very first presentation of Jesus, right on the outset, I mean, this is way before the cross, way before the death, way before the resurrection, way before the ascension, way before the command to go and tell everybody else all in the world about what Jesus had just done for us, way before the atonement for our sins was made. Even for the very first presentation of Jesus was about the purification to free us. Every single part of it right from the beginning, has always been about the purification, the forgiveness of sin, and the restoration of someone who can stand before holy and almighty God. Why in the world is this story in here? Why in the world is this included? Why couldn't we just jump from angels singing about baby Jesus and shepherds coming to worship him right to when he's 30 years old and inviting disciples to follow him and performing really incredible miracles that we like to... Why in the world this? story. I think it's there for a reason. To show us that this couple, that this particular family was committed to the law of God. Long before Jesus came, they were completely committed to God. And we should not be so quick to disregard these Old Testament truths Either. There are so many people today who want to disregard the Old Testament because we're living in the day of Jesus Christ and a brand new covenant. But if the holy couple was observing Old Testament law, we shouldn't be so quick to throw it out either. And typically it's used by folks who want to justify any manner of things that they can possibly justify. These observances are in there to help us. At Rolling Hills, we observe something kind of special whenever a baby's born, too. It's a family dedication. It's an opportunity for parents to commit themselves to God and to his word in the upbringing of their children. And we don't ask you to bring doves, thankfully, but we ask you to bring your commitment. And these few verses are in there to show us Mary and Joseph, they're committed and they're covenanting to lead Jesus to know and follow the law of God. And the second reason I think this passage is in here is a really good reminder for us. They were poor. They were poor. You see, if they weren't poor, it would have said that they brought a lamb. It would have said that they brought a goat. It would have said they brought some other kind of animal, but but they went with the Levitical provision that says, hey, if you're poor and you can't afford it, just go ahead and bring two birds instead. Mary and Joseph, poor, poor, And if we were sitting here talking about the supporting cast and the people that are actually in the story and the people that aren't actually in the story, how many of you have grown up telling the story over and over and over again? Oh, there was no room for them at the end and you've invented this character that's not actually in the passage of scripture. You just imagine this mean old curmudgeon of an innkeeper who's standing at the door going, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I have no room for you. The picture of Jewish hospitality and the commands of God to always have a door open to a stranger or a foreigner or someone who was hurting would have required that anybody in that day and age, whether they were a family member or an innkeeper or not, welcome that precious couple in the middle of their labor term with open arms. And let's just go back to the fact that they were all supposed to go to their ancestral towns. That's why they had to be in Bethlehem in the first place because this was Joseph's ancestral. Everybody in his family would have been there. Why was there no room for them at the inn? That's actually the word for upper room in scripture. There's no room in the house. And the reason why they had to find a stable, the reason why they had to find a cave is because there was no room for them in the house. That was not an indication of there being too many people. It was an indication of there being no room for them. They should have had Aunt Abigail, the midwife for all the family, helping Mary give birth that night. They're kicked out of their family. No room for them because of the situation that they were in. No family, no money, no dowry, no resources. And here they are still following the law of God to go to the temple to present their child and to present themselves to be pure and to be clean and to be holy before the Lord. Every component of their story matters, just like every component of your story matters. And not just your story but the, but the people that you encounter along the way. If you continue in, in Luke chapter two, you, you start to see some of those folks. It says in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon I've told you this before, but the the name Simeon or the name Simon or the name Samuel in the Hebrew language all have to do with the idea of hearing, all have to do with the idea of hearing from God and not just hearing from God, but being obedient to God. In fact, the name Simeon is a great name to name your kid, by the way, if you haven't done it. It literally means uh, a kid who hears and a kid who is obedient. Raise your hand if you want that, hello. So here's Simeon, whose name means he heard, his name means obedient. Some of y'all are like, man, I should've named my kid Simeon. Okay, he was righteous and devout and he was, was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Let's just go ahead and say, that the Holy Spirit is on him, and the Holy Spirit is present in this moment. The Holy Spirit was present throughout all of the Old Testament moments. Maybe you come from a tradition that says that the Holy Spirit doesn't come on a person until they were baptized, or that the Holy Spirit doesn't come on a person until after the ascension of Jesus, when in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell on people and made them speak all kinds of crazy languages. Let's look at all the passages of Scripture that go against that and tell us that the Holy Spirit was present from the beginning as part of the triune God, and here he is having been rested upon the guy who hears and the guy who is obedient and in verse 26 it says it had been revealed to him by who we're not at Pentecost yet the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah moved by the Spirit he went into the temple courts and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law required Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God. So, so you have this fellow named Simeon and I'm just jotting down a few notes that I think in the side margins of my Bible because I want what was true about Simeon to be t- true about me and you. Like I want the same thing that's said about this guy to be said about me. The, the, he was careful. You can write that in your notes. Like Simeon was careful. The Bible says that he was righteous, and that's, that's a Greek word, dakeos, and it, it literally means careful to observe God's laws. In, in a much wider sense, it was said of him that his way of thinking and his way of feeling and his way of acting, the way that Simeon lived his life was wholly committed and conformed to the will of God. The, the root of that dakeos is literally custom or law, and the root of that is to show or expose to the eyes who you really are at his core. Who he was in secret, who he was in reality was someone who was carefully committed to the law and to the person of God. He was careful and he was committed. When I look at that and it says he was righteous and devout, I just look at those two words and I'm like, well, righteous and devout, those are probably just the same thing, but they're really not because righteous is careful to observe God's laws and, and, and devout is literally the word eulebes and it means to hold on to really well, like, like to cling to to cling to your reverence to God, to be completely attached to him in everything. He was careful to observe the law. He was completely committed to God. He was also consistent. The Bible says that he was waiting. The the, the New American Standard says that he was literally looking. And it's not just a word that means looking or, or waiting. It's also the word that means welcoming. He was ready arms open. I want to welcome the Lord's Messiah. I want to welcome the Savior of the world. I want to receive him into my life. It's literally the word prosdekomai, and it means to welcome, but it also means to expect. He was waiting for something big. And we don't know how long he was waiting. I always picture Simeon as being really old. Somebody that had been there for a long, long, long time, waiting for decades and decades and decades, and, and, and maybe he was, and maybe God had really, okay, you're not gonna die, and everybody's going, man, when is Simeon gonna die? That joker is old. We have no idea that he was actually old. Maybe God revealed that to him in his 30s, and like three years later, like at a strapping 35-year-old man, he was looking, and there all of a sudden, there comes Jesus. Well, I guess I can die happy now. Who knows how old he was, but we do know that he was looking and that he was waiting waiting, and that he expected something from God. I want us to go into Christmas looking. I want us to go into Christmas expecting, expecting God to do something, expecting him to to speak in a specific way. Something about Simeon was confident, not cocky. Careful, committed, consistent, confident. My alliteration is is on point today. Like, it's strong. All them C words. Here's another one. He was consumed. The Holy Spirit was on him. I love this verse from Romans chapter 15. It says, may the God of hope, if you're looking in your notes and you, or, or you're looking it up in your Bible, Romans 15, the God of hope, circle the word hope, fill you with all joy, underline or, or circle the word joy, and peace, underline, highlight, circle the word peace, as you trust him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the, what, Holy Spirit. We wanna be consumed by the Holy Spirit. We wanna be filled up by the Holy Spirit. And and in case you're taking notes, maybe you're already lighting a candle at your house, maybe you're already celebrating the, the Advent weeks at your house, hope and joy and peace. First three words that we look at when we think of Christ coming into the world to bring us hope, to bring us joy, to bring us peace. How we get that? Being consumed, filled up by the Holy Spirit. You can have all the Christmas traditions that you want to, even even a focus on Christ. You can add all the Santa and elves and reindeer and Batmans and Power Rangers to it that you want to, but unless you're filled up with the Holy Spirit, You don't receive anything from God this year, much less the hope and the joy and the peace that you desire. That idea of of looking for and wait, what was he looking for? What was he waiting on? Bible says the consolation of Israel. The the consolation, it's literally the word paraclesis, and it means comfort. He's waiting for Israel to be restored. He's waiting for Israel, his his whole nation, his whole people. He's waiting for them to be comforted. He's waiting for them to be rescued. He's waiting for them to be redeemed. He's waiting for them to be spoken to, called, touched. Do you know that when the book of John describes the Holy Spirit, calls him the paraclete, the comforter? The only way you're gonna receive comfort this year The only way you're going to be filled with hope, the only way you're going to experience joy, the only way you're going to understand peace is to be filled up and consumed with the Holy Spirit of God. And our nativities are too crowded for us to be consumed with very much. There's some stuff that we got to dig through before we can really see and experience Jesus, maybe more than any of this stuff. Simeon was looking It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And the the most magical thing about this whole story is that when he saw Jesus, he was moved by the Spirit, and he took him in his arms. We gotta look with our hands. We gotta look with our hands. Take hold of it. And he praised God. He starts quoting scripture. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's referencing verse that he has memorized in the book of Isaiah, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Isaiah 49 says that I will also make a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach, may reach to the ends of the earth. He's literally declaring that this baby that he's holding, as opposed to any other baby that he had ever seen, and there would have been a lot of babies, and the reason there would have been a lot of babies is because everybody who had an eight-day-old boy had to come to the temple to have him circumcised, and then after that, 33 days later, that woman had to come back to be purified from you know, what had happened, and if it had been a baby girl, that baby girl would have walked in, not walked in, because babies didn't walk that, I mean, maybe they did, I don't know, like, there was a lot going on back there that was really different, I have no idea, but probably being carried in 66 days later by her mother, and that woman was coming in with her lamb if she was wealthy, or with her doves if she was not, to follow the law and the custom of God. I don't know how long Simeon was there, but I imagine that he had seen other babies before, but something was different about this baby, and because of the power of the Holy Spirit in him, he declared him to be what Isaiah had been talking about generations before, of all the babies that I've ever looked at in my, you know some babies look kind of like old and weird? It's, we say all babies are cute, but sometimes, you know, I don't know what the baby Jesus looked like, but I know what Simeon saw when he looked at him. He saw a savior, not just for him, not just for Israel, but for, according to Isaiah 49, the whole world. It says in verse 33 that the child's father and mother—pay attention to the details here—father and mother, Joseph and Mary marveled at what was said about him. What? Imagine the confirmation. That angel visit was not a hallucination because Simeon just confirmed it. When them shepherds showed up, it was not an accident. Because what Simeon said just reminded us of the promises of God that brought us this son who will be our Savior. And then Simeon blessed them, blessed both parents, them, Joseph and Mary. But then he said specifically to her, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. How come? How come that was a bad thing for some people and a good thing for others? because how you respond to Jesus affects everything about your life and your eternity. How you respond to Jesus affects everything and it's either going to be your greatest joy, your total salvation, or it's going to be your absolute doom and your day of reckoning. It would be the rise of many. Hallelujah, he came. And it would be the fall of others. I don't want to live my life according to his word. I don't want to follow Christ and Christ alone. I like mixing it all together and doing my own thing. Destined to be the rise and the fall. And then he looked at Mary specifically and said, And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. We don't see Joseph in the crucifixion story. Scholars have just assumed that he died at some point during Jesus's youth or upbringing. He had other brothers and sisters in the family to take care of mom when dad was gone, and this prophecy came in this moment to say to Mary, it's going to get hard for you, because we do see her pictured at the foot of the cross. We, we do see her mourning the crucifixion and the death of her son. Israel's consolation and and, and this confirmation from Simeon, ultimately it came in the form of prophecy fulfilled. Old Testament being born right in front of us, those those things that we hoped for, those things that we waited for, prophecy is literally being fulfilled in this couple, in this child, and a salvation that had been prepared since the foundation of the world had been prepared for people. And even this, our thoughts ensnared. The word revealed says that Jesus would be a sign in verse 34 that would be spoken against In verse 35, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. The word revealed is apocalypto. It's where we get the word apocalypse. Y'all, this is going to be the end. This Jesus, he's it. And ultimately, this word means that something will be fully known, fully revealed, brought to light. And Jesus is a baby at this point, 33 plus eight days old. And Simeon's already looking and prophesying about the end, saying this child right here is going to be more than just a child. He's going to be a suffering servant. He's ultimately going to be a savior. And if we don't believe in him, we don't have anything worth celebrating at Christmas. What's your reaction to the, to, to the presentation of Christmas? to the presentation of who Jesus really is it says that Simeon took him in his arms and praised God it says that his parents marveled about what they had heard and what was said about him what are you praising God for this christmas and what are you just in total wonder and amazement what are you what are you marveled by this year does it feel the same does it feel like a, a little bit of a struggle? It, it, it might be because you need to look for Jesus. It, it might mean that you need to clear away some of the clutter. It, it might mean that you need to get some of the things that are going on in your life. Some of the songs and some of the traditions and some of the stories and some of the folklore as traditional and cultural and special as it is. It's in the way of, of looking for and, and seeing Jesus. You won't praise him unless you see him. A- and you won't marvel about him unless you dig in deep into the story. The-, the question that we're asking God today is will you see Jesus this Christmas? It depends on where you look. A- and it depends on what else is in your way. Somebody said, my-, my eyes have Seen your salvation. It's a tiny little baby. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations. Simeon didn't just see it, he held it. So if you're looking for Jesus this Christmas, definitely gotta look with your eyes. But you're gonna have to look with your hands too. You have to dig in get rid of some of the clutter and focus wholly and completely on him. I do invite us all this Christmas to look for Jesus and to hold him close and to be forever changed by the fact that God offers to us his salvation. It was told to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen it and My hope and prayer is that none of us would without having first received it. So I ask you today, maybe there has been a moment in your life when, because of what tradition you were a part of or or what church or what family you grew up in or experienced or encountered where you said some words and raised your hands. Maybe, maybe you walked an aisle, whatever that was going on in that moment. Maybe you're sitting on a bed talking with your mother. Maybe you were literally at the bottom of a barrel crying out to God where you said, okay, I want everything else in life to go away and just see Jesus. I wanna know you. I wanna follow you. I wanna be forgiven by you so that I can spend eternity with you. That's your salvation story. That's where you saw it. That's where you held it. That's where you praised God for it. Maybe you don't have that moment because you were just doing the cultural thing. You you were just doing the expected thing. You you were just doing the going through the motions thing. Today can be the day where, where, where the clutter goes away and you really receive Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Nothing special or sacred about that. It's just an opportunity to focus, to to tune out the distractions, to to literally put everything else that doesn't matter away and say, hey, all right, Jesus, I, I wanna see you. I wanna know that you're there and I want to know that you're mine. It's really simple. It's literally looking to the God in heaven and saying, okay, here I am a poor, wretched sinner. Lord Jesus, I don't have two doves, much less anything else to offer, but I give you my life, and I commit myself to you. I want to turn from doing life my way and and, and cluttering up everything I've got with so many other things and and focus only on you, and I want to follow you every day of my life. Maybe today is your day of salvation. Do me a favor before you leave today. Mark that on a card. Give me the the pleasure and the joy of following up with you later this week just to say, God's doing a work in your life. Regardless of whatever other gifts you receive this year, we want you to receive Jesus. Not so that you can die, but so that when you do, you'll spend it with him. Look for him. Hold him close. He's the only thing that matters at Christmas and the only way to experience any of the hope and the joy and the peace that we all long for. Today, God, we tell you that we love you and that we're so thankful that you extended your light and your salvation to all people so that we could be redeemed and so that we could be a part of your family. It's in the name of your holy and precious son that we pray, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills sermon podcast, part of the Rolling Hills podcast network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go podcast, and more. If you want to learn about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and the ways that you can connect. We're thankful for you.